Hey everyone, I'm Preston Lee. And I'm Clay Mosley. And this is Freelance to Founder. Every week, we sit down with freelancers like you for actionable coaching calls with one mission. To help you ditch the feast-famine lifestyle and build your own sustainable business. At one point, we were both brand new freelancers, barely making ends meet. But by now, we've started, grown, and even sold a few businesses of our own. And we want to help you do the same. If you're ready to go from freelance to founder, then join the army of freelancers who are taking matters into their own hands. Visit freelancetofounder.com to apply for your own on-air coaching call. And now, get ready to take some notes because an all-new episode of Freelance to Founder starts right now. On today's episode, we have a conversation with Matt Essam, a coach who helps freelancers find and attract their dream clients. Have you ever felt like you're more of an employee than a partner when it comes to your client relationships? Maybe you feel like you don't have any creative input on your projects, or maybe you feel like you're underutilized, pushing pixels or moving commas or doing some other menial task for your client. If this sounds familiar, you'll want to listen to our conversation with Matt today. He's got a pretty great solution for this problem, plus some good advice on finding the perfect clients for your business. Stay tuned, and we'll get started right after this. Whether you want to travel more or communicate better with international clients, you need to try Babbel. I've used Babbel's courses and you can do the same in order to learn real life conversation skills in a different language, order food, ask for directions, or speak to clients without having to use translation apps. Right now, get 60% off your Babbel subscription. This is only for our listeners at babbel.com slash freelance. That's 60% off at babbel.com slash freelance, spelled B-A-B-B-E-L.com slash freelance. Rules and restrictions apply. When you wake up in the morning and check your phone, does it feel like this or like this? Because with Shopify, your morning can feel like this way more often. That's the sound of a sale being made on your new Shopify store. And while client payments may require weeks or months of work, you can start generating a semi-passive income to grow your business by setting up a Shopify store all of your own. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. Whether you're selling your latest designs on shirts or bags or adding something totally different to your business, Shopify helps you sell everywhere. You can sell online, you can sell in person, wherever and whatever you're selling, Shopify has got you covered. With Shopify, you can set up your store in minutes and start selling immediately. And Shopify's award-winning support is there to help you as you go. Sign up for a $1 per month trial at shopify.com slash freelance. That's all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash freelance to grow your business no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash freelance or click the link in our show description and start waking up to this. Welcome back to another episode of Freelance to Founder. As always, I'm joined today by my good friend, Clay Mosley from GetDripify.com. Hey, Clay. Hey, how's it going? Pretty good. Excited to be joined today by a uh, a guest of ours, Matt Essam. He's calling from the UK. Hi, Matt. How are you? Yeah, I'm really well. Thanks, Preston. Thanks for having me on the show. Yeah, absolutely. We're excited to have you. We're getting away from the typical coaching format today to have a conversation with Matt about getting your clients to not necessarily treat you as an employee, which happens all the time, but to treat you as an expert. Before we dive into that, which I think is going to be a really enlightening conversation for, for myself, for Clay, probably for a lot of our listeners as well. Matt, why don't you just tell us a little bit about who you are, what you're working on, why people should care enough to stick around for the next half hour or so with the three of us? 
Sure, yeah. So I am a business coach, but I just work exclusively with award-winning agencies and freelancers. So I've been working in the creative industries myself for the past kind of 12 years. And then for the past four or five, I've been coaching people. And so really my mission is to see a world of creatives doing work that is meaningful, that has a positive impact in the world, and not just churning out logos to pay the bills. Yeah, I love that. And so what kind of, what kind of freelancers are you coaching at the moment? So a real variety of freelancers, but all within the creative and digital sector. So it ranges from photographers all the way through to illustrators. And I also have some traditional artists as well that kind of make sculptures and, and things like that. Yeah. So it sounds like a nice, a nice variety. When you when you say you do coaching for freelancers, I mean what what do you what do you offer them this you know, hopefully this doesn't come off as a pitch for our listeners. I'm genuinely curious. I've had a lot of people ask about coaching for freelancers and that kind of thing. But what what do you offer them? What What's the ultimate goal for your coaching? Yeah, the ultimate goal really is to get people finding clients that they actually get excited about working with and feeling confident charging what they know or feel they should be being paid. So typically, I'm working with freelancers and agency owners that have a good deal of industry experience. They're, they're typically at the top of their game creatively, mm. but they're struggling because typically they've kind of moved in a direction where they've just been saying yes to everything that comes their way. Uh, I'm yeah. like, yeah, I can do that. Yeah, sure. No, no worries. And they've almost built a business that's serving everybody else but themselves. Oh, that's a really so interesting my way to focus put that. yeah yeah so my focus really is to to help them take a step back to help them zoom out and figure out what they really want first of all you know like what do they want their business to stand for what kind of impact do they want to make in the world and then how do we commercialize that how do we find a problem that they're uniquely positioned to solve and how do we help them to attract those kind of clients that have those problems so that they can really feel like they're not just doing the work for the for the sake of it. They're actually doing work that's fulfilling creatively and also impactful for their clients. And at the same time, you know, being able to be well paid and, and have that kind of financial freedom as well. That's good. There's lots of those people out there <laughs> that, that want that. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And and a lot of people who like you said are at the top of their game creatively, but really just don't know. I mean, that's the whole reason this podcast and, and our blog content at Milo.co, all of that exists because, yeah, we've identified that same issue where there's just people at the top of their game creatively, writers, photographers, designers, marketers, developers, all kinds of people. And, and they were trained to do that work really well, but they, but they weren't trained to run a business successfully. And so you're right, they start saying yes to everything. They don't charge enough. They don't realize how the finances of a business should work. There's like so many details of running a business that you never learn if you go to university for one of these other skill sets. Absolutely. And, you know, it's it really is a, a pleasure to be on the podcast with you. And I think we got introduced um, by someone I'm actually working with at the moment. But I looked back and I remember I actually wrote an article for your website probably three or four years ago when I kind of first started on this journey. And I remember reading your content and thinking, oh man, this is exactly what 
I'm experiencing. And this is exactly what the types of um, challenges are that my clients are experiencing. Like I really need to connect with these guys. So it's great that um, we've kind of kept in touch and and now that we're opening this conversation because I think I've got an extra four or five years um, of stories and experience now. So I think it's a great time to to have this conversation. Perfect. I, I love it. I, I think uh, with, with that introduction, let's dive into some of the meat of this conversation. Um, we're going to talk today about a, a very common issue that I know, I mean, I just know from talking to our audience that freelancers face this where a client treats you more like a commodity, more like an employee, more like they are in charge of you. And you just have to, like you said before, say yes to everything, do everything they say. And really, most freelancers would rather be in the position where they're seen as an expert, where their opinion matters, uh, where they can have input on you know, the, the creative uh, aspect of the projects that they're working on. Designers don't just want to push pixels and, and writers don't just want to move commas around. They want to actually have a, a, a creative input on the work they do. So I guess, where, where should we start this conversation off in terms of helping freelancers be seen as experts and not as just employees? I think a great place to start is by, I suppose, calling out a bit of an elephant in the room when we're talking about this topic, which is, in my experience, most people actually bring this on themselves. And I don't want to get into a kind of um, uh, me against freelancer because I've totally been there, right? This is how I started myself. I had my own freelance business um, and I built a small agency. So um, one of the mistakes... I was making was I was actually inviting clients to treat me like an mm. employee. And the way that I was doing that, the way that I was inviting that was I wasn't ever questioning them or challenging them. So when they came to me and said, hey, Matt, we need a new website and this is our budget, I would dive straight into, okay, well, what do you need it to do? And you know, what's this? And how many pages are there going to be? And do you have SEO? And I'd dive straight into the logistics. And I would just deliver what they were asking for. And so I wasn't really um, inviting a conversation around why they actually wanted that or you know, what, what the real objective of this was in relation to their business. And that was my first mistake. So you were, you were a yes man. I mean, you just you, you did anything they asked. Yeah, because it just seemed like, well, who the hell is going to question this person? They're telling mm. me they've got 3K. They need a website. I can build websites. Cool. That's that's mm. what this whole mm-hmm. thing's about, right? <laughs> I think every freelancer starts this way. <laughs> every single one of them. Yeah. And I don't think there's necessarily anything wrong with starting that way. I think it's just not staying there. For sure. Yeah. It's not sustainable as a lifestyle, I would say. Yeah. And I think the other thing is it's not really serving the client. Because the analogy that I always use is, is imagine that you went to the doctor and you just said, Hey, doc... Uh, haven't been feeling great. I've done a bit of Google research and I'm pretty sure I've got this disease. So I just need you to start this treatment immediately. <laughs> and the doctor was like, yeah, sure. You know, ju- jump on in this machine or, you know, we'll just do this operation for you. No problem. It's like so, so clear when you use that analogy with it, right? That you obviously wouldn't just walk into the doctor, self-diagnose, and he would give you any medication you want. Mm. Um, and yet, yeah, we, we do that all the time. I, I guess my question is though, and I don't want to get too far ahead in the conversation here, but I remember early on in my days of freelancing, I started to feel this way that I was, there was one client in particular I remember 
they would just they would send the most ridiculous requests, uh, and and I kind of just went along with them until one day they asked me to. This was this was years and years ago, but at the time, those like um, on screen uh, green screen like presenter people. I don't know if you remember that they would like walk on. And it would just be the person walking on the I screen remember and talking. This. <laughs> it's like in the corner, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. And you'd have it to like unmute them. Yeah, it was totally a thing. It was a trend. I don't mm-hmm. know what year this would have been, like 2010 maybe or yeah. something. And um, and they wanted one of those. And I had read all of the reasons not to do it. Uh, you know, memory, lo- like just all, there's a million reasons. We don't have to get into the technicalities of it, but... So I advised against it. And of course, looking back, I can see maybe my tact and my presentation were not perfect. But how how do freelancers what what maybe what's what's the next step you take from just saying yes to everything to to beginning to challenge because they the end of that story is they ended up hiring a freelancer who would do it for them. They just let me go. They didn't want to work with me anymore. Um after we had had a pretty good relationship. And so uh, I guess, yeah, how do, how do freelancers start to make that progress without completely cutting off their clients or, or, um, or ruining what they've built so far? Any thoughts on that? Well, first of all, I just want to say that I'm really gutted that I missed that trend. <laughs> oh, it was a fun trend. It was, it was, it was a blink in the eye. I think, I think like, honestly, I think it was like, uh, I think it was like 2008. I think it, it might have been, yeah. 2007, somewhere around in there. I don't know. Yeah, I mean, I remember people get... I, uh, this shows how far I'm going back. But I remember like my clients asking me for like those banner things that scrolled across the website with their number and stuff on and things like that. Oh, like just, a ticker tape? Yeah, like a ticker tape thing. thing yeah. And th- yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, but yeah, not to <laughs> detract from your original question, Preston. <laughs> we digress, yeah. <laughs> yeah, Um it actually all starts in uh, what point of the decision-making process you engage with your clients. So when any human pretty much is making a decision about a considered purchase, which most creative services are, unless someone is on Fiverr just kind of trying to get a logo for 150 quid, um, most creative services like websites are a considered purchase. They will have gone through a process of deciding how to, um, you know, well, basically how to make that decision. And there are, there are kind of six stages in total, but the first four are the most important. So the first stage of the decision-making process is when a client isn't aware that they've got a problem or they are totally happy with the solution they've got. Um, and if you think about a purchase that you made recently or in the past, and anyone who's listening, you can actually go through this process in your head. You would have started where like you there was nothing wrong, basically. you you were pretty happy with how life was. Um, and then something happened. Maybe you saw something that you didn't know existed. So maybe like a friend showed you something and you were like, "Wow, I didn't even know you could do that." Or maybe the thing that you had that was solving that problem stopped working or it didn't work how you wanted it to work. And so then you move to stage two um, of the process, which is you become aware that there's a problem. right? Um, And then the next stage, stage three, is when you decide to take action. And so everybody right now has probably got something in their life that they know isn't perfect, that they know is a challenge, but they haven't yet decided to take action on it. You don't, Do you know what I mean there? Where it's like, 
you you know that it's a problem, but you haven't actually kind of drawn your or put your flag in the sand and said, right, enough is enough. I'm actually going to do something about this. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So the the people between those stages are actually the people that we want to start conversations with because that gives us a real opportunity to position ourselves as a guide and position ourselves as an expert because the client hasn't gone to the next stage, stage four, which is where they assess the options. Because once you decide that you're going to do something about it, you go out onto the market and you start researching, right? Um, So that's when it kind of gets a bit dangerous because people at stage four who are researching and trying to figure out what they're going to do about this problem are usually competing on three... Oh, sorry. They're usually using three criteria to to decide um, what the solution is going to be. They're usually thinking like, how much is it going to cost me? Um, Is it good quality? Like, Do other people recommend it? Am I actually going to get what I need from this product? And how quickly can I get it? And so by being and engaging with people at stage four of that process, we are immediately getting sucked into that good, fast, and cheap trap. Um, And it's much harder to change someone's thinking where they've already done the research and already kind of come to the conclusions about the solution than it is to um, help somebody come to a decision or come to a solution by helping them through the thinking and getting them really clear on what the real problem is and, and what the solution might be. Does that make sense? Yeah. So if I'm hearing you right, it sounds like you're you're really trying to step in as a consultant more early on. And yes, you might be a consultant who can also execute, but but in reality, you step in more of a consultant role in the beginning uh, so that they see you as a consultant throughout the process as opposed to someone who can execute on something they've already consulted with other people on or consulted with themselves on through the, the early stages of the process. Am I, am I kind of understanding that right? Yeah, absolutely. And what's the interesting thing is people, clients often say to me, but well, I don't see how I do that because I just provide animation or I just provide yeah. web design or whatever. But my question to them is always the same. Are you just a web designer? Like, is that all you are? Yep. And, and like the answer is no, of course not. Because I always use this analogy as like a, an iceberg. So if you think about above the iceberg, your client's are on a boat and they're looking at the icebergs and above they all pretty much like look very similar. And what most people are doing, they're, they're bringing to the surface for their clients to see things like their portfolio and their skill set and the equipment they use and um, their qualifications and things like that, which essentially are all commodities. People can right. copy, they can mimic those things. The things underneath the surface, under the water are like your experiences that only you have had, the people that the combination of people you have in your network, your unique perspective, your story about your life, your passions, your hobbies, all of that stuff, that's unique to you. And it all comes together to contribute to your ability to solve a problem for someone. And that's kind of the second part. So you said, where should we start? Well, the first thing is to understand that you're not challenging the client. And the second thing to understand is that ultimately... Um, if you want to be seen as an expert and you want to get paid well, you have to think of yourself as a creative problem solver, not just a tool for hire. Yeah, that's really interesting because some people don't want that. They actually want to just be, you know, pushing pixels or moving commas. Transactional. Yeah. yeah. Absolutely, yeah. right? Yeah. And my advice to them would be go get a job or like a solid mm-hmm. contract. Yeah. 
or do the same really do the well. same job on Fiverr over and over and over. <laughs> yeah. Mm. yeah, but but seriously, like a lot of people are better off if they if they have no desire to kind of run a business or be involved in the business side of things, and they just want to be creative. They just want to sit behind a computer every day. Like that's what a job is for. That's what a technician. Yeah, that's does. exactly true. Yeah, yeah. Okay, so so if if the key is then to identify clients in this stage where they haven't made a decision yet on what they want, so that we we can then guide them as a consultant. Uh, how do you how do you find those kinds of clients? I mean, it's a lot easier to find a client who has already drawn up a, a creative brief, uh, request for proposal, or or whatever. You know, it's a lot easier to find people who are already looking for what they think the solution is than someone who doesn't have a solution yet. How do you go about finding the right kinds of clients to, to jump in at that particular moment? Yeah, absolutely. It's a great point. Um, so the thing that I just really want to emphasize there uh, that you said, Preston, is that it, it's a lot easier, right? It's easier because people are out there in the market looking for something, which also means several other things. Number one, it's the most competitive place to interact with those people. Number two, it's the it's like crowded, most noisy. And number three, you're dealing with people predominantly that are comparing on time, price, and quality. Yeah, that's good. So, so true. and and the interesting thing is actually, if you looked at the whole market, um, and you really did an analysis, probably only about twelve to fifteen percent of the whole market are at stage four. Have you ever noticed that many of the problems people call in with on this show can be solved by hiring someone? Sometimes you need a full-fledged team, other times maybe just a simple assistant, or an expert in something you're not great at. Whatever your reason for hiring, we recommend you take a look at LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn isn't just another job board. As you may know already, LinkedIn has a vast network of more than a billion professionals, which makes it the best place to hire. It gives you access to professionals you can't find anywhere else. And LinkedIn Jobs makes the process of finding the perfect teammate easy and intuitive. Hiring is always easy when you have access to so many quality candidates. So easy, in fact, that 86% of small businesses get a qualified candidate within 24 hours when using LinkedIn Jobs. I've used it myself, and it was so simple. In fact, I've made multiple hires using LinkedIn Jobs. And did I mention, by the way, it's free to business owners like me and you. Post your job for free at linkedin.com slash freelance. That's linkedin.com slash freelance to post your job for free or click the link in our show description. Terms and conditions apply. You know, working from home is mostly great, but there are some days when I realize I haven't left my house or even my chair like all day. Have you been there? Getting outside to exercise or making a trip to the gym are just harder now that my office is just a flight of stairs away. If you're stuck in the same rut as me, then you should try Hydro. That's H-Y-D-R-O-W. With the Hydro rower and 20 minutes a day, getting a full body workout is so much easier. Hydro can work up to 86% of your muscles in just 20 minutes for an insane effective home workout. That's because Hydro pairs the effectiveness of rowing with the power of technology to connect you with over 5,000 video trainings, classes, and workouts. And get ready to get out from behind your home desk because after a few months of daily rowing with Hydro, your partner's going to want to take you out for a night on the town to show you off. This spring, join the growing rowing community at Hydro. Head over to hydro.com and use code FREELANCE to save up to $400 off your Hydro. That's H-Y-D-R-O-W.com and promo code FREELANCE to save $400. Hydro.com, promo code FREELANCE, or just click the link in our show description.
So that means the rest of the people out there are at stage one, two, or three. Now uh, remind me again. What stage four is? They're they're doing an they're doing an analysis, right? They're doing yeah, they're, they're looking at looking the options. At options. Okay, okay, okay. I think twelve percent's high. Is that is like what? <laughs> for some reason, I think that's high. <laughs> yeah, maybe maybe it's slightly less than that. Yeah. I'm kind of going on um, like the conversion metrics. You know, like if you pitch to a room full of hundred people, there's like you know ten percent mm, of them yeah. or whatever are kind of ready to buy. Okay, yeah, that makes sense. Um, but yeah, it's probably less than that. Um, so that's the first thing to acknowledge that our brains, and, and I always bring it back to psychology because in my experience, it's the way that we think about things that keeps us stuck more than what we do. Um, and so I always bring this back to the thinking that we're using because it seems logical that you would just go after those people who need what you can provide right now. Right. Um, but in actual fact, that is the hardest place to compete. Um, and so the question you asked me was, well, how do we then get the attention of people at stage one or stage two, ideally between stage two and three? And the, the, art, the simple answer to that is that we market ourselves um, based on symptoms, problems, and goals rather than solutions. So I'll give you like a really tangible example. If you design logos, right? Instead of going out there saying, hey, does anybody want a logo? You would go out there and say, hey, are you a business that feels a little bit confused about your identity and you really struggle to communicate what you do to your clients? Yeah, I love this. So this is, this is just... This is the deeper thinking on... We've coached a few... Uh, a few people on this show, Clay and I have, about asking why. Why they need a logo, right? And then that opens up, like you said, maybe they're confused about their company's identity or maybe they, they feel like their customers are confused about the company's identity or it doesn't stand out in the marketplace. Like there's, You can keep asking why and keep diving deeper and deeper into the reasons why they need the commodity that eventually is the design of a logo, right? Absolutely. And if you think about that process, I always try and keep it in my head. I've actually got a visual graphic that I use in my presentations. It's much harder to take someone from stage four back to stage two because at stage four, they, they've kind of already done the research. So they've, they're already in that thinking. So it's much harder to question someone's thinking that they've already been through than it is to engage with someone at stage two who doesn't really quite know. They don't fully understand the picture. They've got an idea of what their challenges are, but they haven't yet found the solution. They haven't yet come to the conclusion yeah. that this is what we need because then you're guiding them and you're when they get to the bit where they're assessing the options, they're not obsessing... Obsessing? <laughs> they're not assessing the uh, market... Uh, market options, like who am I going to use to design this logo? They're assessing the options with you. Like, do we need a logo? Um, do we need a new website? Like, what is it that you can help us with? And maybe this is oversimplifying, or I know it's not the perfect example, but going back to my example of those horrible green screen walk-on personalities on websites, ideally, even though this was already a client, ideally, I, it would have been better had they seen me as a consultant who they could have said, we need to grab our users' attention more quickly once they're on our website because people are leaving really quick. 
Like maybe exactly. the maybe the maybe the drop off rate is is really high or the the on on site time is really low, and they want to increase those metrics. That would be the moment that ideally they would have pulled me in and said, as someone you know, if I had marketed myself correctly, which obviously I hadn't in this moment. They would have pulled me in and said, as someone who understands web usability and how people use websites and, and you know website marketing and copywriting, as someone who understands all of that, how do you think we could get our users to stay on our site longer? Or how do you think we could collect more emails? Or how do you think, et cetera, et cetera, in terms of the actual goals they wanted to achieve? But instead, they had already decided that a green screen walk-on personality was the best way to achieve those goals. And so... At that point, there was kind of no talking them out of it, um, which is why they they reacted so negatively to me saying, well, like, are you sure this is really the best idea? Because they didn't see me as someone who from the beginning had their best interests in mind. They saw me just as someone who executed on what they deemed were their best interests. Absolutely, exactly. And so what you could do if anyone else is listening and they've kind of struggled with that scenario, which I'm sure they have, what you could then do is moving forwards is get really clear. Why did they want that? What was their best thinking around that? Well, they believed that it was going to increase engagement and increase sales or whatever. So then moving forwards, instead of um, kind of pitching the solution, which is building websites, you go out there and you start talking about the types of clients you would love to work with and some of the challenges they have. So, you know, hey, do you work in this industry and you really struggle with these types of challenges? If so, like, let's have a chat. I like that actually. Um, I was I was talking to one of my clients yesterday about a very similar topic, um, where I was. So my client was talking about how she provides like all this really good customer service, and I was like, okay. I told her I was like, okay. When someone purchases a product or a service, they they expect that, right? They expect mm. good customer service, and so this kind of goes along the line of what you just said. I, I said I I told her I said. What you're doing is is you're you you are providing the service in a reactive phase or stage, I guess you could say, um, because like she she only provides a service when the clients reach out to her, and so I'm like instead of being reactive, I said let's let's try to be more proactive, and say hey, have you looked at these things in your business like. Then we need to we need to address them. You know what I mean? Like her reaching out to the clients because I asked her. I said, "How many times do you like touch your clients? Not physically, but like how many times do you, do you market <laughs> to your clients? Right? Like like how many emails do you send out? How many like do you, like do you uh, do calls with them? Text messages, whatever." And it was literally six times a year. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, um, no, that's like not enough. And she and that's kind of how we got in the topic of well, she only does that because. It's in a reactive state instead of proactive. I was like, let's be more proactive. So I really like this um, uh, because I think like if if someone's in a more proactive, um, uh, I guess more proactive activity, then I think clients will actually look at them more as a, an authority versus just a monkey doing yeah. Uh, and, and something that you can potentially charge a lot more for. I mean, Clay, it's interesting to like look at the two different businesses. I know you run lots of different businesses, but the two main businesses that I'm familiar with, you know, you used to run a web design agency where 
basically a client would reach out, you would design a website for them, and then they would reach out with updates and your team would make the updates. And there's nothing wrong with that model mm-hmm. necessarily, but you're only able to charge so much. Uh, and now I happen to know that you're charging like over 10 times as much as you were before for your marketing mm-hmm. services, um, where basically they see you as like the... I mean, it's a, you're a fractional CMO. So they see you as the marketing expert. They're not coming to you saying, we already know what we need in terms of a marketing plan. They're coming to you saying, we have no idea what we're doing and we need your help. Um, mm-hmm. And then you're able to charge them way more for that particular service. For sure. Yeah. And that's because I'm proactive. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I'm not, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> you're not reacting to people reaching out saying, we need a website. Mm-hmm. There are those, those people are already in Matt's stage four, right? Instead, you're, you're getting people who don't exactly know where they need to go. And so they, they see you as an expert, as a consultant, and they hire you to help them draw the map instead of just execute on the map they've already drawn. Mm. So I'm curious, Clay, just for people listening, when you say you're proactive, could you kind of share some numbers with us? Like how many kind of, or whatever your marketing methods are, like how many people are you kind of reaching out to or engaging with on a weekly or monthly basis? Oh, yeah, this is a really good question. It, to me, it all depends on what level. Uh, so I, I have a very similar, um, I guess, model. You you kind of explain these different stages. But um, but I, I have I have a variety of different clients in, in as far as like how much they pay me. So like a very low level client is like they only have a website with me and that's it. And so I, there's there are certain things that I do for them. It's it's the same number of quote unquote touches that I give um, versus like someone who pays me as a fractional CMO. I do the same amount as far as quantity, so it's at least um, wow. I don't know. It's if I'm counting all the different platforms, I mean, it's probably at least every other day mm. uh, in a variety of ways. So like I do it via social media, I do it via email marketing. I have private Facebook groups for my clients. Um, I have, I have, uh, even my Facebook groups are classified in different types of clients. So I have a group that's just for my websites. I have a whole nother group that's just for my fractional CMOs. But like, as far as like what I do, the, the way I do it is the more money they pay me, the more, um, the, I would say the more attention that I give them. And so at least more, more access, I would say. And so, like, in my opinion, I think um, uh, the more money that they pay, they invest with me, the more access they get. So my my top fractional CMO clients, they can call me up anytime. But someone who's like a website only, like I I just don't just I I don't just take those phone calls. Um, I I will say, hey, just email me. I'll get back to you um, within a day, um, or talk to my assistant and she can handle these things right. Um, so as far as like quantity of touches, it's the same all the way across the board. But as far as quality and how much access to me, like as far as a two-way conversation, um, I, I do a much higher quality touch the higher that they invest with me. Does that make does that answer Makes your sense? Question? Yeah, yeah. 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 So like one of the when we're talking about this topic of you know how to go from positioning yourself as an employee or, or an order taker um, to a guide or, or an expert, one of the fundamental shifts apart from this decision-making process that I help my clients with is just to 
do exactly what you just said, get more active. Um, and simply by connecting with people and pitching for conversations, not sales, because that's where most people get wrong, go wrong. Uh, and why most yeah, people like don't like to reach out because they feel like they're being salesy. Yeah. Um, well, I can't sell anything to you if I don't know anything about you. So I want to pitch for a conversation. Um, so when we get people to do that, I usually have a kind of five-a-day rule. Um, I want you to be starting five new conversations a day. It just fundamentally transforms people's business because all of a sudden they have more conversations and more opportunities than they have space or capacity to work with people. And not only is that filled up with clients, but it's clients they actually want to work with because they've actively reached out um, within their niche. You know, we go through this whole process where we help them find their niche um, or niche, as you guys call it in the States. Um, <laughs> and, uh, and so they're only reaching out to people that they have common interests and common values with. So it's just really like starting a conversation and making friends with people that used to be strangers and are now your friends. Like before they were strangers, how did you make them your friends? Um, and it's the exact same process. Okay, so I, I, I want to push a little bit here because I think this is really good. Uh, but if someone's listening and it's like, oh, just start conversations, I, I'd like to dive a little deeper into that. Like, what does that look like? If I'm going to start a conversation, let's say, you know, obviously I've, I've identified my niche, I've identified my target audience. Uh, so I know the kinds of people I'm reaching out to. Where do I actually find them? And then how do I start these kinds of conversations without seeming spammy because I get I get requests all the time, you know, that people quote unquote just want to start a conversation, but I can read right through it. I know exactly where they're headed with it. Um so what what do you suggest for actually like what's the actual tactical execution on this kind of thing? Yeah, it's a really great question. And I think it's a really valid question. Um I'm gonna give you the kind of short podcast answer. I actually wrote an ebook right. on this. Um so if people want to download that for free, not my full book that I wrote, which is like 40,000 words. This is just like a short ebook. It's called Creative Control. And it's basically all about direct outreach and how to do exactly what you just asked. But I want Perfect. to give people a higher level um, overview. So if people want that, they can literally just... If you Google my name, Matt with two Ts and then S-M-E-S-S-A-M, um, and go to my website, it's under free resources. You can just download it. Um, and we'll, we'll even be sure to link it up in the show notes as well so that um, you don't even have to bother the, the Googling if you don't want to. You can just... In your podcast app, just click the link uh, to get the free download. Yeah, cool. Awesome. So uh, on a high level, I just want to actually tell you a story about one of my clients because I think it might help answer this question. So um, one of my favorite examples of this is a client that I used to work with called Scott. And when I first met Scott, he introduced himself as a graphic designer. And he said, you know, I'm, I'm a graphic designer. I can help you with logos and flyers mm -hmm. and we we'll do brand identity. And I'm really passionate about design. And I said, that's great, Scott, but you just sound like every other designer that I've met. So what we need to do is we need to figure out what's different about you. We need to unpack your story. And so he started telling me about some of these things that he's interested in personally. And he started talking about the outdoors and adventure and climbing and trips that he'd been on. And I said, you know, Scott, to me, it sounds like you've got this huge network of people in the kind of outdoor and adventure industry. And it sounds like you would be really passionate about helping them. It sounds like you've got a unique perspective on some of their problems because not only do you interact with these people on a kind of weekly basis, but actually you're a consumer. So you can, you wear the clothes, you go climbing and, and all of this kind of stuff. And I said, I want you to just start conversations with these people, but instead of pitching yourself 
as I'm Scott, I'm a graphic designer, forget the whole graphic design bit and just listen. Start getting really good at listening. And so it was easy for Scott because like most people, a lot of these potential clients already are already in our network. They're already there, but we're just not talking to them properly or we're not identifying them properly because we haven't thought about them in this way. And I think one of the things that holds a lot of freelancers or business owners back is that they think that all of this stuff we're talking about now is just some kind of tactic or strategy or facade to get your foot in the door so you can sell something to somebody. But in actual fact, it's really about showing up from a place of service in terms of, I'm here to help you solve a problem. Like I'm really passionate Mm, about solving this kind of problem for these kind of businesses. And so for Scott, I said, look, you don't know necessarily what the problem is for these people because you haven't been listening. You've just been pitching all the time. You've just been talking about you designing flyers and brochures. So just go and listen. So when he started conversations, he would start conversations like he normally did with friends. Like, hey, how's your week going? What have you been up to? What are you climbing at the moment? What are you doing at the moment? And he would start um, conversations with people who had businesses. So one of his first clients was a climbing wall that he went to. And he just started a conversation with the owner. And he said, you know, I've been coming here. I absolutely love this place. I'm curious, like, where are you trying to take it? And what are some of the challenges that you have with the with the wall. And he really just started an open conversation like that. And he said, okay, cool. So, you know, I can I can understand what you're struggling with and where you want to be. I've got some ideas of ways that I might be able to help. Would you be open to that conversation? I love that. I I uh, I've had that happen as well. It it comes so naturally when you're genuinely interested in in how the business is is doing. Like I'm just gen- genuinely interested in entrepreneurship. And so I, I I found this new barber. He started up this barber shop and I was just chatting with him like how, you know, how's business been with COVID and all of that sort of thing. And and eventually we got down to that he wanted to build an app uh to, you know, for whatever reason. And uh and he actually asked me, he was like, wait, do you do you build apps then? Cause, you know, it sounds like you could help me solve this problem. And I referred him to someone else. I don't do that kind of work necessarily, but like I could see how having a genuine conversation and genuinely caring about a, a person's business and where it's headed is a is a very natural segue into then talking about how you, how you can potentially help them and support them. Yeah, and if you think about it, right? Because I always say to people, they get this thing in their head and they think that business is like this alien thing or networking is this alien thing that we have to learn how to do. But I just say to people like, have you got friends? And most people answer yes to that question. I say, cool. Mm -hmm. Like, how did you go from those people being strangers to those people being friends? I wish this, I wish this was something that somebody told me a long time ago. Uh, I think I mentioned it on a podcast that that's how I do sales or that's how I figured out how to do sales, but Mm -hmm. I figured it out the hard way. I wish I had somebody like you, Matt, uh, (laughs) to tell me that this is the way I needed to do sales. And so... Like, cause I like I, for some for those of you listening, like if you're an introvert like me, like sales is like the most terrifying thing ever. Um, and so I finally figured out. I was like, okay, I'm just gonna make friends with people and just make sure they know what I do. And uh, yeah, that, I think it's brilliant. I think it's brilliant. I wish I'd known that years before I figured it out. <laughs> well, yeah, sometimes things stick uh, much more <laughs> when you've had to go through the pain of figuring them out yourself. Yes. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> But like, um, but, but like adding yeah, value, yeah. adding value to to the conversation long before it almost eliminates the need for an official sales pitch. Like, if you just add value to the conversation, 
um, eventually, if if they're in need of what you offer, eventually that question will come up. Usually, um, or like you said, I love just you know I have I have a few ideas on how you could do that, uh, how we could achieve that together. You know, would you be open to chatting about that? Would you be interested in chatting about that? That is such a non-threatening, especially if you've already made kind of made friends with them, had a nice conversation. Uh, it, it's such a non-threatening way to just bring it up. Yeah, absolutely, and. This is so much easier to do when you find a niche that's relevant to things happening in your life. Mm. Um, so for Scott, this was easy because he was already hanging out with these people. And even if he wasn't, he could approach outdoor and adventure brands and say, hey guys, look, I saw that you did X, Y, and Z last month. I'm super passionate about this brand. I've had this experience with them. Um, and you find that common ground and you start a conversation based on that. So all I'm suggesting is that we just go out and we plant seeds every single day. We just connect with people with similar interests that we would genuinely enjoy helping. And really, in those conversations, we're just trying to identify three things. Number one, is there a gap? And what I mean by that is, is there a gap between where they are now and where they want to be? Cool. Yes, there is. Awesome. Number two, are they open to having some help close that gap? And number three, can I help them do it? Like, is there something I can spot there which I mm. think I can help with? And that's all we're looking for. And as soon as the answer is no to one of those questions, no worries. Well, it's great connecting with you. I'd love to see, you know, what you're up to in the future. Let's keep in touch. And you go and move on to the next person. Yeah, and it's not to say that they couldn't be a client in the future. Exactly, right? So um, for Scott, he just got Red Bull as a client. And I said, well, how did wow. that... Yeah, how did that come about? And he said, well, I was down the climbing wall and I was just having a conversation with this guy and it turned out that he had a contact at Red Bull and he had actually spoken to him before, previously, and, but it just that thing wasn't um, a problem at the time or there wasn't an opportunity at the time, but it just came back up in conversation. And because I've encouraged people to stay curious and just offer help and say, oh, have you thought about this? Or maybe I could introduce you to this person then automatically you're positioned in their mind as the person that want, that A, genuinely cares and B, can help solve problems. Like you're a mm -hmm. creative problem solver, not just a tool. Yeah. Yeah, you're a consultant. They're, you're someone they can consult with when, yeah. they, have, when they have a problem. Mm -hmm. That's yeah. good. I love it. I just did one this morning. Um, so really simple, simple examples. I have a... So I have a Facebook group. Uh, it's like... It's just a free group. I occasionally post in there. It's not that big, but I have a lot of quote unquote so called friends uh, who are not, they're not clients yet. I have some clients in there, but I posted this thing. I, I, I only, uh, I, I, it's really simple and it was about Zoom. So I said, Hey, uh, here's a really good branding tip that costs you $10 a year is instead of like, especially in this era, is like instead of like uh, posting your Zoom link, uh, that has like these random strings of a string of characters and numbers uh, to your clients and prospects. Go purchase a domain that says uh, clay with uh, zoomwithclay.com and then just put a, uh, a forwarder with a masking or whatever, just forwarder uh, that and, and you just forward to that Zoom link um, and, and start using that. And so I posted it in that group and I, I'm, I'm looking right now, I've got. Uh, I think I've got like thirty something comments on it, and I, and uh, and there's like somebody already reached out and said, I don't, I have no clue how to do this. Can you just like handle it for me? 
And I said, well, sure, but you know, I don't just do this. Like, I, I'll do it if you if I do your website. And she's like, well, okay. Well, I've been thinking about getting a website anyway. Um, and obviously, I know you're like the website guy, so let's just go ahead and do it. And mm. so I think, like, if I had not put that out in the world, there, it was zero sales. I, I was just like, hey, here's a little tip. If I think if I had not put that out in the world, I would not have gotten that sale. Hundred percent, hundred percent. And and I talk about. Um... Creating content um, to get kind of indicators that people are interested in what you're doing. Um, so I, I do every now and again. I'll do a post where I kind of get people to raise a hand, and I'll say, um, for example, I did one which blew up on LinkedIn, which was like one of my clients. After we'd been working together for just under a year, he we realized when we did our review that he took an average project value from like five hundred pounds to five thousand pounds. And he wasn't really doing any more work. We just kind of unpacked his process. So I simply put a post out there that said, um, I recently helped a client take an average project value from £500 to £5,000 without really doing much more work. Um, who would be interested in learning about a bit more about how I did that? And so everybody that commented underneath that, I then just opened up um, a DM and just said, Hey, I noticed that you commented on my post. Would you mind if I ask you a few questions about your business to figure out if there's anything I can do to help? Yeah, that's good. You're just starting. Con- I mean, you're just starting conversations. Yeah. Mm-hmm. That's all I'm doing. Yeah. And and how how long would you say like if if a listener is now thinking, okay, great, so tactically this makes sense. I can start conversations, you know, in the gym, uh, like Scott did, or I can start a conversation online on LinkedIn or on Facebook. How how long you know might uh, might a freelancer expect uh, before they start getting a few clients in the door from this tactic? Or is it is it like five conversations a day for a year <laughs> before something <laughs> happens, or is it like for a week or two? I know yeah, it's going to be obviously the... different with everyone, but but what what do you think listeners could expect if they try out this method? Yeah, we usually do a thirty day challenge, um, but it all depends on what you're selling. Um, So if you're selling a really high-end service that starts at 10K plus, then the lead time and the touch points are going to be more than if you're selling, say, a three grand um, project. But one thing that we do to kind of ease this process in and build relationships is we create what I call a logical next step. So often what people will do is they will start this conversation, they will get people on a call, they will go, I can definitely help. And then they'll spend the next few hours putting this fancy proposal together and putting everything in there and then sending it across. And then they wonder why there's just crickets. And the reason is because they've just proposed on the first date. <laughs> right. And they've scared the client away. Because um, <laughs> they've got to remember like what stage of the relationship they're in. Like They've literally just reached out to this person. They've had a great conversation. Everyone's really excited. But you don't just go in with a... 10K proposal because that's probably going to scare people away. So one of the things we do is we create a logical next step. And a logical next step is how do we demonstrate some value without there being too much risk for the client? And if you look at really successful brands, they're doing this all the time, whether it's Apple or whether it's Tesla or you know Rolex or whoever, they're, they're giving you the experience of owning that thing or being part of that brand's ecosystem without you actually having to give them a lot of money or time or energy. 
And so what I get my clients to do is I get them to design something, which is a kind of low risk, logical next step. So it's framed in the context of this is where we're going. So, you know, where we really need to go is we need to build this website, probably going to have a budget of around 10K. But before we do that, let's just create the strategy. Let's just get a really clear layout of what this website is going to look like, who it's ideally for, what the sort of content is, you know, and let's let's just sit down for half a day and and you know, I'll charge you $250 or $500 or whatever you charge for like a half day to actually do the thing that you would do anyway when you won the 10k project, but you just bring that forward as a bit of a kind of golden nugget of an experience of working with you so that they can actually get to feel and see and experience what it's like before mm. they then make the big leap to the to the 10k. I love that. Giving them a taste of it. And you know, a lot of people might might be tempted to do that for free. Uh, but I love that you've recommended that they do it for, you know, their day rate or whatever. Um, because there is value in it. That that trains the client to realize that there is value in what you're offering. Um, and, and that eventually, you know, when they pay you, they'd get value back out of the out of the transaction. Yeah. And again, it all depends, right? So I used to work for a big marketing and advertising agency in London. They're a worldwide agency, but they had all the big clients um, that you could think of. You know, we worked with Adidas, Philips, Unilever, Mini. We designed like the London Olympic logos, did loads of really cool stuff. And I remember once sitting on, uh, sitting in on a, uh, a pitch that they were doing, and it was a pitch for Mini. And they actually went out and they hired a Mini for the day and they filmed like a little kind of fake advert for mini. Um, so it would have cost them whatever it cost to hire the mini for a day, plus the insurance, plus the team, plus the like, you know, it probably cost them a good few thousand pounds. Um, and they did that for the client and didn't charge the client anything, but the contract was worth millions. Right. So it's all relative. Right. So mm-hmm. I probably mm-hmm. give away about five thousand pounds worth of coaching every month. But I probably get between twenty and thirty thousand pounds worth of business from that. Yeah, I love it. Well, I, I, I mean, I think this has given us more than enough to chew on. Uh, <laughs> hopefully, the listeners have been paying attention. I, this is one of those episodes that I would hope listeners go back and, and listen two or three times. There's so many gems in here in terms of, you know, if, if if there's nothing wrong if you're getting started, there's nothing wrong with starting out with job boards uh, or, or anything like that. But but if you're further along in your freelance career, if you're hoping to build maybe more of an agency model and you really want to refine your process and not be treated like just a pixel pusher or, a, or something like that, just taking orders, as Matt said, like this, I think this conversation was, was fantastic. So Matt, thank you so much for taking time uh, to offer some of your free coaching to start a conversation with us today, showing us uh, you know, that you practice what you preach. But thank you so much for, for, uh, for all the insight you've added to, to the conversation today. We really appreciate it. It's been a pleasure. Before we uh, wrap it up, why don't you tell people uh, where they can connect with you? And then I know you have something you want to give away free to our audience as well. Yeah. So I think the best place to connect with me at the moment is probably still Instagram, although I am spending a little bit more time every day on Clubhouse. Uh, I don't know if you guys have been on it yet, but it seems to be pretty addictive. It's a lot of fun. Um, (laughs) Hashtag hashtag Android right here. Android. Right. Okay. (laughs) You guys missing out. Um, so yeah, I'm hanging out there a little bit. Um, but yeah, Instagram, I'm pretty active on and I'm, I put out quite a lot of content. So the good thing about my name is it's pretty unique. So if you search for Matt Essam, uh, I come up on on pretty much all of the main channels. 
what I'd love to give as a gift is last year I wrote a a book, like a real book, a kind of 40,000 word book that became an Amazon international bestseller, which was pretty cool. It's called Create and Prosper, um, how to find your dream clients and build a freelance business you love. And I would love to give anybody listening to this a free copy. So obviously we can drop a, uh, a link in the show notes. Yes, but if definitely. For reason yeah. uh, people can't click, I have got a landing page which I just put up recently, and it's createandprosper.co. So if you head to createandprosper.co, um, it's all of my best thinking. So it's not just about the things we've talked about today. It's also about how to kind of scale the business. Um, there's a bit about sales in there. Um, there's a bit about values, finding your dream clients. Um, and there's a quote on the back here from Chris Doe uh, from the future, who said, if you're a freelancer working in the creative industries, I highly recommend you read this book. So I'll just leave you with that. That is, uh, that is quite the uh, endorsement from from someone that <laughs> definitely knows what he's talking about in the space. So thanks yeah. for sharing that with uh, with us and, and those who are listening. Um, thanks again for for uh, chatting with us today, Clay. Any any parting thoughts, parting words of wisdom? Go get uh, go get go get both books. I would say go get both books. The, yeah, the ebook that you mentioned earlier, and then this book. Yeah, one hundred percent. All right, you guys. Thank you so much. Uh, it's been great. Thanks a lot, Matt. Thanks for having us. Cheers. Freelance to Founder is produced by the team at Millo. Visit millo.co to level up your freelancing. And Dripify. Visit getdripify.com to become a bad A in business. Freelance to Founder is also part of The Podglomerate. You can check out more amazing podcasts at thepodglomerate.com. The theme music for this show was produced by Joaquin Carud. You can catch past episodes at freelancetofounder.com or by searching Freelance to Founder in your favorite podcast player. While you're at it, we'd love an honest review on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts. That's all for now. Until next time, see ya.